Well, good morning, everyone. It is very good to see a full house in a long weekend. I was not expecting that, so that, that's fantastic. So welcome here. If you're a guest here this morning, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here with us. If you're watching online, also uh, welcome here. Glad that you've you chosen to be with us this Family, family Day weekend. <clears throat> now, uh, if you were here last week, uh, I mentioned that we are going to be pulling out of our series in First Timothy, and we're going to spend a Sunday morning just focusing on the family and honoring Family Day weekend. And specifically this morning... I want us to kind of ponder or think about one, one main question. And here's the question. It's uh, how can we pass our faith on to the next generation and why is it important for us to do so? So that's the question we're going to be looking at. How can I pass my faith on to the next generation and why is that important for us to do so? Now let me just quickly do a quick poll here. How many people here would say that you come from a, like a rich uh, spiritual heritage, and you're here in church today because of the influence of your parents or grandparents in your life. Just, just raise your hand just so I can see. Okay, so there's lots of you. That's fantastic. Now, um, I hope you would answer, I want you to answer this out loud, or not out loud with your hand if you can, but um, you might not feel to- totally comfortable, and that's okay, but how many of you would say uh, that, that you're like a first-generation Christian in your family? So there's, okay, there's a few, a few people. Okay, so fantastic. Okay, uh, this next question might be even more difficult. Uh, how, how many of you would say that at some point in your life, you were, you kind of uh, drifted away from the faith, or you're currently drifting away from the faith, or you have a child or someone you love that's drifting away from the faith, whether they're young or old. How many people would would put themselves in that category in some way? Okay, so there's quite a few of us that that would identify with that. So um, I I think that this is a question that God wants and needs each and every generation to answer. And here's the reason I think that is so. First of all, it's because faith is always a personal thing. And meaning that, that every person has to decide for themselves what they're going to believe about God and if they want to follow the ways of God. So you can't decide for someone else that they're going to become a Christian. You can't, you know, long for or wish someone into the faith or force them into the faith. That never works. It's up to the person. It's a personal decision. And it also means that that no one is going to get a free pass off of someone else's coattails. So just because your parents or grandparents are great uh, people of faith, doesn't mean that, that God is going to look kindly on you if you reject him. A second thing is uh, simply this, is that all humanity is engaged in a spiritual battle whether we realize it or not. And so even though God has placed eternity in the hearts of humanity, which I believe he has, which means he's given us, he's placed something in us that, that we, we want we sense there's something more than just this life. And we sense there's a, there's a power greater than us. He's, he's placed this eternity in our hearts. Even though he's done that, and every human being around has that, church, non-church, you know, different religions, every, every human being has that. The adversary, the devil, and our, our natural human desires, which kind of are at war against us, those are the things that we want to do that we know we shouldn't, and uh, the world's influence over us, has this really 
powerful um, way of, of trying to keep us from knowing the truth about God. And so that means even, even today, especially with the younger generation, there's all sorts of messages being bombarded and pressures around them, and, and there's so much just trying to pull you away from, from the truth and the goodness of God in that life. And so that's another reason why we need to figure out how to pass on our faith to the next generation. The third reason I say this is because our, our human hearts are prone to wonder. And we see this throughout the pages of Scripture. You just have to open up the Bible and you see people wandering away from the faith. But we also see it in, in our lives. We, we recognize that either in ourselves or in someone that we know and love. And, and there, there are many people that we know of in the process of, of walking away from their faith or questioning it or deconstructing it or abandoning their faith. And so uh, we, we know our tendency is that we're prone to wander. And so we need people in our lives that are going to help us to, to, to draw back into the faith. Now, there are many, uh, for this reason and many more reasons, I, I think it's important that we take a morning like this to talk about how those of us who have uh, a mature or who are, are mature in our faith and believe in God and His Son Jesus Christ can effectively and successfully pass on our faith to the next generation so that our children and our grandchildren will know God and they'll love Him and serve Him and follow His ways. Now, uh, when I mentioned I was going to speak about this last week, I actually had several people, not just one, but several people come up and they gave me some, they gave me some words of, of wisdom around this. And, and it wasn't, like, some of it was, make sure you don't, uh, you know, push people on this because that could be really negative or it's not so simple. Like, it's not just a simple thing. So, so don't make it sound simple, right? And, and so I, I, I agree with those things, but um, it's still important that we talk about this. And, and my sense is that uh, one of the reasons we... We don't like to talk about this area, especially if we're adults who have had kids or have grandkids, is that um, there's part of us that feels like we failed if one of our kids isn't walking with the Lord. And the last thing I want you to feel today is that, is that you, you fail the Lord. I actually want you to, to be filled with hope. I want you to be filled with, with a sense that, that, that God is doing his good work in us. And if you were faithful in doing your part in this process, that God might, in his mercy and grace, bring family members back so that they walk with him. Even at coffee time today. By the way, you need to come to early for coffee. But at coffee time today, I, I, I talked with someone, and they said that, that um, they grew up in a family of faith, and and that person and all of their four siblings uh, abandoned faith during their um, college years and now are, have found their way back to faith um, thanks to the grace of God. So, so I, I know that people wander away. Our hearts are prone to wander. But I also know that, that God in his goodness brings us back because truthfully, like who have we in heaven but God? Like you compare who God is and his ways to any other way, any other philosophy, it doesn't hold a candle. Right? So we can trust in the, in the goodness of God in, in these things. And so uh, I just want to remind you from the outset that what I'm talking about today is actually a partnership. It's a partnership between God, who is going to do his part 
in drawing people to himself. God is going to do his part in revealing who he is and his goodness and his ways and the truth of his word. And by the way, that God is the faithful God who will never relent in doing those things. So, we can, so his part's secure. We, we can just trust in that. The other two parts aren't quite as firm. One is your part as, as mature believers in influencing others because you have a role to play in this. And you could still do everything right in your role, and God could do everything right in his role, and your child might not decide to follow God because that's the nature of, of free choice. It's the nature of humanity. But what we don't want to see happen is that in the end we say, you know what, there are things I could have done differently, both to you know, guide my child or to give them grace or freedom or whatever that is uh, so that they might discover God. So it's a partnership, and I just want us to remember that from the outset here. So what I want to do today uh, is, is I want, I'm hoping that this, this um, long weekend family talk feels more like a conversation than a sermon. And I, I've even, I have some chairs behind me with some microphones on them, and so uh, I, I've invited a, a panel of people to come up, and they're going to share at the very end um, just some of the ways, some of the things their parents did right in helping them find and, and hold to faith. So it's going to be very, very practical for us. And uh, I think it's going to be really, really good uh, in, in that process. Uh, but before we come up, what I want to do is I want to lay a, a foundation for this morning by, by sharing some, some family photos. And relax, it's not going to be of the Erickson family, okay? Um, I know you really love when I show all, all those photos. This is actually going to be uh, the family photos of the nation of Israel. And I have four photos I'm going to show you today. They're going to give us a snapshot into the nature of the family and what's happening. Okay, so here's, here's the first one. Um, it, it's, it's in the opening chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And a side note, um, my main text is from Deuteronomy here. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. But if you want to, if you have time, if you ever read chapters 1 through 9 of Deuteronomy, it's just a, it's a wonderful picture of God's heart for, for people coming to him. But um, in, in, this, in this snapshot, it's actually a, a remake of another picture that didn't turn out very well for the family. You see, uh, 40 years prior to this picture, they all gathered at the lakefront, at the riverfront, to, to take a picture of this, of this group of people that were going to go into the promised land, the land that God, God had promised them. Except uh, they, they hesitated and they sent in spies into the land, and they saw that there was giants there, even though the, the, the land was everything that God said it was. They saw these giants, and, and they, they held back and says, we cannot beat these people. They forgot to trust in God. And because of that, God sent them back into the desert for, the, for a 40-year death march, the longest death march ever, until every single one of those people in that generation, except for two, uh, died. And this is now the remake of that photo because the nation of Israel is now back at the same place that their fathers were. And this second generation is, is at this place looking at taking on the promised land. But a lot has changed in that 40 years. And so um, Moses is, is, 
is uh, alive still. He's, he's going to pass away fairly quickly here. And so he's actually going to give his, his farewell um, speech to this second generation of Israelites. And in, in this book, he's going to remind them again. He's, he's going to kind of re- retell the stories and recount some of the events that are happening. And he's going to remind them of, of God's love and God's faithfulness and God's power especially seeing the remarkable exodus out of Egypt and all that happened there. He's going to uh, restate the, the commands that he, he received from the Lord and they received from the Lord at Mount Sinai. And he's going to restate those and, and he's going to encourage his, this new second generation to be obedient to those things. And he's also going to remind them of, of, the, um, of the, the, the problems that happen when you, choose, you know, when you choose disobedience as their fathers did. And then he's going to exhort them over and over and over and over again in this passage to, to love and obey the one and only true God and to keep his commandments because they, in keeping God's commandments, there is blessing for your faithfulness. And he's going to also say that there's also actually troubles and consequences or curses for your unfaithfulness in those things. And so, I don't have time to tell this story, but, but he, he just starts just kind of telling stories. I remember when I was younger, I would go to my grandparents' place, and I had uncles and aunts, and they were people who, um, a lot of them were in, in Christian ministry, and we would sit around the, the table, and also one of them would say, you remember the time when, whenever that happened, I, I knew we were going to be in for a great evening, because they would, they would just recount the stories of God's faithfulness, and and my, my mom and dad carried that on. They'd always tell stories of how God provided and how God was good to them and everything else. And so, so Moses, I don't know if he said this, but it's like, do you remember the time we, we got into Egypt for the first time and God protected us as a family? We were 75 people at that time. And now look at us. We're in the millions. And God has fulfilled his promise to make us a great nation and to make us like the descendants, like the stars in the sky. And then he goes on and says, you remember the time we were at Mount Horeb and we heard God's voice come out of the fire? Like, who is, who is alive today and has heard God's voice? That just doesn't happen, but we did it. And he talks about the time that um, they were in the, in the desert for 40 years. He says, do you remember how God, how God fed us? Do you remember how God clothed us? Like, our clothes never wore out for 40 years. You know, good for them, bad for designers around there. Do you remember how, how God protected even our feet so that they didn't swell up and blister when we walked through the desert? Do you remember how God even blessed us while we were in the middle there so we, we lacked nothing? Isn't God great? He talked about, I talked about um, the times that God protected them when, when armies came upon them or they were asked to, to, to go and fight armies bigger and stronger than they were. And yet God, in his mercy, prevailed. And so he just kept on telling all these stories about the goodness and the greatness of God to a generation that already knew that. And he kind of summarizes this whole experience in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, when he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. It's a wonderful story. And so God's faithfulness, God is faithful to his promises and he can be trusted. And of course, this new generation ate it up because unlike the old generation, they had seen God and experienced him time and time again 
in, in the desert. And so they saw his provision and they were ready to trust him and move forward. And they came to, to believe him as, as the Lord God, the only Lord, the only God, and they believed in him. And because of that, they saw God's mighty hand in their lives and experienced much, much blessing. Now, that's the first snapshot. Fast forward, I don't know exactly how many years, but, but a number of years. And we're going to go now from the beginning of Joshua's life in, in leadership when he was at, at the River Jordan. And now we're going to go to the very end of his days. And so during the gap time, they, they trusted God. They went into the, they crossed the Jordan River. They um, saw and experienced the, the hand of provision that God had, and they actually took the land and lived in it. It was, a, it was a wonderful thing. The promised land had come. And this is what happens at the very end of, of that time. It says, um, it says in, in uh, chapter 21 of Joshua, So the Lord, God, the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he solemnly promised. None of, their, none of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped conquer their, all their enemies. And not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Now, how would you like that as the testimony of your life? Right? That, that absolutely everything that God said to you because of your faithfulness came true. Now, you would think this is a super energized, super spiritual group of people, and they probably were. I would have loved to have talked to Joshua and Caleb and, and some of those guys to see their great faith. And this is what it says in Joshua 24. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for them. You see, the first generation of Israelites failed in trusting God. The second generation of Israelites trusted God with all their heart, and God rewarded them. And that brings us to the third snapshot, which is the third generation following. And I want to pick up the story in, in Judges chapter 2, and I'm going to repeat a verse that was just in the end of Joshua, but just to give it some continuity there. By the way, it was literally the third generation. So that means uh, parents, if you're a parent here, grandparent, it's like your kids, okay, that close, the people that might be sitting beside you. It says in verse 7 in Judges, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Two verses later, this is what we read. After the whole generation had been gathered up to their ancestors, okay, so that's Joshua's generation, the second generation, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now just let that just sink in for a second. In one generation, they went from this mighty nation of faith to a nation that didn't know God nor what he had done for Israel. 
one generation, which really means that, that, that even in this room, we are one generation away from abandoning faith. If you do not pass it on to your kids, and if you're not married yet, but when you do, and your kids, we're one generation away from that. And then this is what happens. The consequences are remarkable. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the prophets around them, and they aroused the Lord's anger. Now, this is an incredibly heartbreaking story. Joshua and those who were part of, the, of, of his generation exhibited great faith in God and we were rewarded with many miraculous signs and powers that proved time and time again that Yahweh was God. They, they saw God um, open the, the River Jordan so they could cross in, on dry ground. They witnessed as their worship team led their army and walked around a fortified city until it came crashing down without even a fight. They even saw the, the sun stand still and they saw God's hand in, in battle over and over and over again. But somehow, either they failed to pass on their deep faith and trust in God to the next generation or the next generation refused to receive that. And we're not told why, we can guess, because probably some of the reasons why we don't pass on our faith effectively now. You know, maybe, um, maybe the, the, the adults weren't, weren't purposeful in passing on these miraculous stories about the presence and power of God. Maybe they didn't encourage their children to seek and develop their faith for their own. Maybe they just got too comfortable uh, living in the uh, houses in, the, in cities they did not build and, and eating the crops that they did not plant. And they didn't think they needed their God. But what we do know is that something went terribly wrong and it had a, a crippling event, not just on that generation, but on the generations that followed. And this became the beginning of a, of a very, very dark uh, season in the life of Israel where we hear the story of the judges where um, Israel would rebel, you know, they'd sin, rebel, uh, and then God would raise up a judge to judge them, and then they'd return, and then boom, boom, it just kept on going back and forth there. So first generation, second generation, third generation. Snapshot number four, and then we're going to have the panel come up and, and just talk. But I want to go back now to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. And this is now a snapshot of generation two and what Moses commanded them to do. And if you've been part of the church culture for any length of time, you will, you will probably recognize these verses. But I'm going to read them and then we're going to explore them just quickly together. This is what it says. But by the way, b before I read this, well, I'm going to read it first and then we'll, we'll go from there. Um, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I, that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of, uh, of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way or when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them down on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay, key passage of Scripture here. Now, I want to just again say that, that this is the process by which faith is passed on to the next generation. When I say process, I'm not saying formula. I'm not saying if you do these things, and if you go home and quickly write some scripture on your doorpost today, your kids will walk with the Lord. Okay, it's, I'm not saying that, but it's an example of what we can do to help our kids follow God. It's not a guarantee. There are no guarantees that your kids are going to walk with the Lord. But it is a guide for that to happen. And of course, as, as, as I said before, it's a partnership between this, this God who is faithful, who longs for everyone to know him, who will do his best to convict you of sin, reveal himself to you as power, you know, uh, maybe sometimes make life hard so that you might turn to him. It, it's this God that does these things. And so um, what I want to do is I, I want to just look at each one of these things very quickly as a way to pursue this. And I want you to notice one thing. That the first three parts of this passage are not about passing on your faith. They're about being a person of faith. And truthfully, unless you're that person that you want your kids or others to become, you're going to have trouble passing on your faith. So here's the first thing. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a statement about us knowing God. This is the Shema. It's one of the famous prayers of the Bible. It was it's a daily prayer for the ancient Israelites, and they still recite it today. It was an affirmation of what the Jews believed. It's a declaration of who God is. And it's really saying the Lord, meaning Yahweh, the one and only God. Not just Yahweh, but the Lord is our God. And just think about that. Um, the, the God of the universe had chosen to be the God of Israel and actually our God. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I think, how blessed are we? How blessed are we that, that our God would, would choose us to be adopted into his family? And it's not just he's our God. He, he's, he's the Lord. He is one. In other words, there is no other God besides him. And so for you today here, and I'm talking to anyone who is in that mature group who has other people that are impressing, the first thing you need to settle in your life is who is God? You know, is he, is he the Lord of your life? Is he the one God? Or is he just, you know, a, a casual acquaintance? That needs to be settled up front. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Second, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your, and all your might. Uh, we must love the Lord our God with all our heart. And so that means this, that the first priority of our life is to grow closer to Jesus ourselves. Before we can ever pass on a, a vibrant faith to others, we need to have a vibrant faith ourselves. We not, need not just to know God, we need to fall in love with them. I don't know about you. I know lots of people that know God. And sometimes I wonder, like, you're right, but do you love him? And, and that's something that he says, like, we need to, we need to um, be convinced that he's 
who he is. We need to be committed to him. We need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to him and not allow other things to become distractions and we reject all those things that pull us away from God because that's what it means to be in love. You know, just think of the first time you fell in love or if you're in love right now and just think of, of that. You, you would do anything to go and, and see that person. That's what love is. It, it just it pulls you towards them. And God wants us to love them like that. Third, we must have God's word in our heart. It says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And the idea is, is, that, is that God's word would, would sink deeply into your heart. Now, we're going to come back to that in, in the next section as well, too. But, but in those days, you would actually wear, you know, things that would, that would be over your heart with the word of God or on your head here. So it was close to you. Now, of course, it says that, that the Holy Spirit kind of implants his word in us so we can do these things. And so we want that word to, to sink deep within us. And parents, I, I just want to say this, that uh, parents, this is a study that actually Pastor Will talked about on January 1st. I'm not sure if it's the same one, but uh, parents with a, vibrant, uh, with a vibrant and lived out faith are more likely to have kids who have a, a vibrant, lived out faith. Another study says this. It's, it says that um, they found that by far the most important factor for determining whether children will retain their faith as adults is, is if a parent modeled genuine faith. And I, I, I still think that parents, you matter more than the peers around your kids. That's what the studies say. Another author said this. Parents are huge, absolutely huge, nearly a necessary condition. Without question, the most important pastor a child will ever have in their life is a parent. And then it moves on to what we can do. He says, uh, teach our children the word diligently. You shall teach them diligently, uh, teach them diligently to your children. You know, it's, it's never too early to, to start reading to your kids. I do have, I meant to bring this over here. I have, we have baby dedication first service, but I, ha, I know one young family in our church, and I'm saying this because we have lots of young kids, but, but their, their, their child is 18 months old, and they read their child Bible stories every night, and already they know every story in the Bible, in their little baby's Bible. It's pretty cool. You go over there and you quiz them, and they just, he points out and says, Moses, <laughs> you know, you know uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I'm going to get him next time, Methuselah, <laughs> you know, see if, see if he knows that one. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's never too early to get your kids in, into reading the scriptures and understanding it. You know, I, uh, I have a grandson, and uh, he comes over, and he loves, uh, when he comes to our place for overnight, Grandpa always tells him a, a story. And actually, I, I'm pretty good at stories, okay? I, I really play them up. We have the three little piggies, and there's, there's Paul William, which is my brother, and Trent Evan, which is my other brother, and Leighton Earl, which is my middle name. And, uh, and you know, the wolf comes to eat, eat, to eat our tails, because we don't you know, kill them. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, when the, when the wolf comes up on the roof, I'm behind his head like this on the wall, and he's, he's looking around. I give him nightmares every time, right, because he's not sure what's happening. So I love telling him stories. But you know what I do every time after I tell the stories he wants me to tell? I tell him a Bible story. And do you think he likes the Bible stories? 100% he does. Right? 
And so, like, tell your kids these stories and, and talk to them about that. So teach them the word diligently. Have intentional uh, conversations with your children that, that integrate faith and life. Uh, in other words, that it says, talk to them when you sit in the house or wherever. But, but you integrate those things. So your faith is not just about Sunday morning or roast preacher on Sunday lunch. You know, it, it's, it's during the week. It's when they experience different things, right? It's so when they experience a, a setback in their life or a disappointment or a hurt or a pain or a loss, you, you talk to them about those things. So I, I remember one time, this is, this is a story about my family now, but uh, this is my, it's not my four-year-old boy, it's my, my 23-year-old son who's playing volleyball with the Huskies and he's entering his fifth year. And his fifth year is when, is when uh, you hope that you get to be the star of the team. And they brought in an international player in his position uh, from another country. And, and, uh, and he lost his starting position. He was devastated. So you know what I said to him? I said... You know what, son? Your volleyball does not define you. Your, your faith defines you. And I'm proud of who you are and how you've led your team and been a man of faith. And so go and do that to the best of your ability. And knock out that international guy in the process if you can, right? <laughs> but but I, I'm just saying that you, you have to bring things into perspective. Like when, when someone fails, it's not the end of the world. When you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. You, you look for those teachable moments and you bring them in, you integrate them because that's where we grow in life. Like, think, think of your life. The greatest moments of growth for me is in the moments of, of disappointment or failure. Right? That's when God used me and I saw his grace or power. And so let's celebrate those things. And then, come on up, uh, those that are, are going to be sharing here. Uh, the last one is, is, again, with deliberately with Scripture and it's about binding them and a sign on your head or the doorpost in your house. But, you know, it's just about us making sure that we're helping our kids know the scriptures and not just read stories about them. So help them to memorize some scriptures, know some verses, because when we hide God's word in our heart, it's going to make a difference. Now, <coughs> excuse me, behind me are, are four people, and I'm going to introduce them. Uh, we have Donna Friesen. Right over here. Well, you guys changed places here. You fooled me. And her son, Derek. Okay? And then we have Heather Roberts and her daughter, Caitlin Foth. And if you know this family, you know that the... Oh, no. We're over there. These two here are our sisters. Okay? So, so they're, they're, they're well integrated as a family. I'm not bringing them up because they're the perfect family because they're not. Okay? And they want, they want you to know that too. I'm bringing them up because... At least in them, I know of a family whose parents are both walking with, with uh, God, whose, whose kids are walking with God, and who have passed on their faith to the next generation. And now uh, they have the next generation that they're going to be passing it on to. So we actually have four generations of people represented here today. And so I'm going to move this pulpit out of the way, and, and I'm going to just ask them a simple question. And that question is... Um, when you think about your parents passing on your faith to you, what did your parents do right? So I'm going to move out of the way, and I'm not sure who's going to start this session now. Okay, I'll start this time. Um, one of the things my, I feel that my parents did right was um, encouraging us and 
making church attendance a priority. Um, yes, we did miss, miss some Sundays. That, that, that wasn't what it was about. It was, be, it was about being consistent, and it was about being a part of a, a faith community and about a church community. And um, one of the benefits that I, um, I saw was the, the, the friendship connections that my parents made because they were a part of, of, of church. And because of those friendships, uh, these were people that could encourage them. These were friends that could walk through life with them. Um, actually, Beth Epp, who was up here this morning with the red shirt, her parents and my parents met 60 years ago. Um, and life took them different directions after a few years, but that friendship has remained for 60 years, a very, very strong friendship. And um, when Cam and I were first married, you know, we looked at that and go, that's what we want. We want, we need those friends that we can do life with and not friends, not friends that come and go, but we, we need lifelong friends that we can do that with. And, and that was a, a very big encouragement to us. Um, just to kind of go off that or add to that, I guess, like you found that very evident from your parents and then pass that on to me um, because I would say that you and daddy were, and mainly you, I guess, because you're maybe a little bit of a friend matchmaker, um, but you were very intentional about cultivating friends for me or like people that I would be surrounded with who um, came from a, a, a Christian family and whether they went to our church or a different church, but you were very intentional about setting up play dates with those kids when we were younger or arranging for us to go to a summer camp together. And like some of those friends are still like, like how long, 20 plus years are some of my best friends still. And, and some of them, some of those friends were friends for a season. But um, yeah, I think that was something that, you know, was passed down as well um, that you did right because then in those years where, in teenage years especially, when it was more challenging, I had good godly friends to turn to and, and maybe kept me out of some trouble that could have otherwise come my way. I also think I will go back to what Leighton said. Uh, one of the first things you have to start with is you yourself or my parents had a real love for God and uh, their faith was very authentic and I could see that and other people could see it. So what they were like on Sunday morning, that's what they were like throughout the week. What they were like at church, that's what they were like at home. And they really, um, again, they were not perfect, but they uh, sure showed the fruits of the spirits, love, joy, peace, patience, and let us experience mistakes. And when we did, they were very gracious in forgiving us. Uh, a little example that I have, and this is just a small example. I was probably 13, 14 years old, and uh, we, I grew up on a farm. And we like to do, well, farmers like to do what's called drive and dump. And I don't know if you're from the farm, you'll probably understand that during harvest time. But what it is is, as you're combining, farmers don't have a lot of time. They want to make make good while the weather's good. So my dad would drive the combine, and I was supposed to come beside him with the truck and get really close to the combine. And when the hopper was full, he would empty it into my truck, and we would be driving at the same time. We wouldn't stop. So I learned how to do this, but one day I remember I probably wasn't concentrating as much as I should have, and all of a sudden, off the front end of the truck, grain everywhere. The sound of it was horrible, first of all, and all I could think about was, 
the hundreds and thousands of dollars, I don't know how much it really was, but all the grain that was going to waste. And I just thought, oh, my dad, what's he going to say? Which I probably shouldn't have, because he wasn't, he was very slow to anger. I apologized. And he said, Donna, don't worry about it. it. Like, no harm, no foul. Like, it's not a big deal. You know what you did wrong? Yeah. Continued from there. So that's the kind of um, parents my, that I grew up with, very understanding and just allowed us to make mistakes because you know we're all going to make mistakes. And I guess the, the big thing is that they were true Christ followers. They, they weren't do and don't people. They did it because they wanted to be more Christ-like. And, and it certainly showed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right through the week. Didn't matter where they were. I got thinking about my foundation of faith and what my parents did right, and it was a lot of listing, listing things, listing involvement at church, um, and then I realized that my parents were there every step of the way. My parents were serving on worship teams. On Wednesday nights, my dad was doing the engineering craft, and he was wiping the memory verse off the board as we learned it word by word, and um, weekends away and into camp and becoming camp staff. So watching my parents serve in the church was so huge. And then they encouraged me um, to take on those serving positions, thinking of VBS being one of the first ones as a 13-year-old taking care of the four- and five-year-olds. And really how modeling that service turned into um, my own service, which turned into responsibility and ownership over my faith. And then that, in turn, turned to trust, too. Because as that switched to high school and getting older, um, just, well, all, all of those service opportunities are mentorship, mentorship opportunities as well. Getting that intergenerational connection at the church and just that wisdom and that guidance um, and thinking of my time as a youth. And because, as a family, we had built that responsibility and that ownership and that trust it meant after youth, we would, the, we would go to the BK Lounge, which was just Burger King, and we, would, we could stay out till one in the morning, and just having that trust, and with my parents knowing that I was having, having those hard conversations, and just having those, making those connections, um, yeah, those are, those are some of the big foundations of my faith, and my parents modeled all of those steps. My parents also really encouraged us to attend camps, retreats. Um, my parents actually even took myself and three other people from our youth group down to Nebraska to check out a Bible school because a, a number of us were looking at going to Bible school and there was a, a good one down there that a couple of us had said, oh, I'm kind of interested in that. Six of us in the car, we drove down to Nebraska to, just to check it out. Driving to camp, two hours to go to camp. So made those efforts to involve us in uh, Christian activities. And even, I think back to my grade 12 grad, and I graduated from a class of 400 uh, people. And there were lots of grad parties going on, and my parents knew that. And they said, you know what, what we'd like to do for you is we would like to have a grad party at our house for you and your friends. And so my brother arranged it, and it was an all-nighter, but it was just a bunch of fun things. We played pool, we played board games, and they just created opportunities for me to thrive in my faith and not... I, I still associated with a lot of non-Christians because I was involved in sports a lot in high school. So I had a lot of non-Christian friends, but my parents really wanted to make sure there were opportunities for me 
uh, to have a lot of fun, but still uh, make sure that I was in a safe environment. I had the opportunity, though I didn't see it as that when I was between the, between the great ages of, well, between grade four and grade nine, I drove with my dad to school, and he was one of my teachers. At the time, I didn't view that as an opportunity, but <laughs> now, now I, I, I'm actually very thankful for that because actually what it did is to school and from school every day, my dad and I drove together, and there were things that we talked about. Not that I remember big moments in all of that, but what it did, it was um, just talking about the day, and, and I'm sure that my dad wove in things you know, that were that were teaching me. Maybe I didn't catch on to all of it at the time, but, but those uh, were special moments. Again, you just did that for me growing up too. I remember my mom saying, you know, especially if something was kind of maybe going on in our life or whatever, she'd be like, oh, let's just go for a drive. Like, let's just get in the car. And I'm sure she was intentionally using those moments for, for teachable moments or just to, you know, kind of get get in my head probably, but, uh, but my, my dad did that too. And, you know, I think some of those times were just meant to spend time with us and grow, grow relationship. But a lot of those times, those, those conversations, you know, walking the dog or just, you know, working in the garden or something, those conversations end up turning into more life questions or, or, you know, hearing examples from, from their life. And, and, you know, sometimes it became more, more of a God thing and sometimes it didn't, but I know those opportunities were sometimes intentional and, and just came up and, and were, yeah, you use those, those kind of like mundane opportunities, um, to, to share. Mom and dad also were very helpful in helping us learn Bible verses that we were learning for Sunday school. Um, I was also a part of Awana Clubs, which was like a, a kid's Bible club, and there were verses that were learned, and mom and dad would sit down with us and help us learn our verses, and um, God's word that's, um, using the phrase, hidden in our hearts, does come back, because there were, there were times later in my teen years and... Um, early years away from home where, where God brought back those verses um, either to encourage me or to encourage me in one way or another, I'll put it like that. Um, and so those were uh, things that were of benefit. When I grew up, my parents were quite strict as far as uh, we weren't allowed to go to movies or dances. And at the time, again, being a teenager, it's like, that's where all my friends are hanging out. Like, what's wrong with it? And I remember both of them explaining to me, again, it wasn't a do and don't. It's not like, you know, if you do, you're going to hell. It was more, is that Christ honoring? Like, what are you, what are you going to the theater to see? And back then, that was the only place that TV was, well, we had one channel growing up in Swift Current, so there wasn't much to watch on there. Um, so if you're going to the theater, a lot of times there were shows being um, shown that weren't, very God-honoring, and so they just said, you know, that's something we've chosen for our family, you're not allowed to go to a theater. And likewise with dances, they just felt that wasn't an appropriate place, what things that would go on there. And even though some of my views are changing on that, the, the ideals that they gave us behind that, I still, when, when I think about the movies that I watch, I think I'm much more careful because my parents were very strict about what are you watching? Is that something that is Christ-honoring? Is that something that will build you up in your faith? And so even though I think some of the 
things are changing as generations go by. Uh, it's the morals and the values and even the, the standards that God has placed in the Bible. There are some definite black and whites, some more gray. But I think if we just keep thinking, is that God honoring? Will that build me up in my faith? And that's what my parents uh, really taught me. Yeah, and I, I see that as a clear line because I know you were careful about what we watched. Um, yeah, sometimes to a fault wall. And I remember, and yeah, I remember when Napoleon Dynamite came out. I thought, if I want to be cool, I need to see this movie. My friends are quoting it all the time. But we were being careful over what we watched. And, um, and that turned into careful over what we did on the computer. And that is a huge blessing. And we understood that our faith made us different and yeah and Leighton was asking some of uh, like the big picture like what what has God done for our family um, and I feel like specifically as a Mennonite it, you get the opportunity to be to you to have the story of the Mennonites and of that migration um, and how God um, has taken care of his people not just the Mennonites of his church um, but uh yeah, understanding that we were different as Christians and that we were doing things differently than the people around us. Um, even if that is not fun in the short term, the, the long-term benefits of that. Uh, Caitlin, I want you to share your, your one story. <clears throat> I was setting her up for that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Get your Kleenexes ready. Um, one of the, the, the biggest thing that came to my mind when Leighton asked, like, what did your parents do right? And to preface, he also had asked us if there was anything that our parents did wrong. Um, and I had a hard time coming up with that because my parents were very great um, and still are. But the one thing that I um, didn't appreciate as a child and as a teenager was um, being forced to come to church every Sunday um, and, and sometimes being involved in other, in other activities. Um, and as an adult, looking back, um, I actually think that that's something that they did right, um, and that has actually really benefited me, um, just like that, creating those, those habits and those rhythms and, and coming, you know, whether it's coming every Sunday or being a part of, of youth or other programs, um, create, creates connection and, and relationship and then, um, in seasons of, of spiritual drought or in really challenging life situations, it's those habits and rhythms and connections that um, either bring you back to God, like keep you kind of keep you set or, or keep you centered and grounded. Um, and, and it's those relationships and connections that you've built through those habits and rhythms and, and being part of the church and the family of God. Um, and it's those, those people that come and walk alongside you, um, especially in those really challenging life situations. And um, if you, I think anyway, if I would have like fallen out of coming and attending and being part of church, that would have really changed my story. Um, so I didn't appreciate it as a teenager being forced to come, but it really... Um, as an adult, looking back, I can really see the value and the benefit of that. Um, uh, as, as my dad was praying, um, he, would, uh, he, would, he would always say um, that we are to be stewards of, of what we have. And it was just a reminder, when I, th when I think about my dad's words, uh, it was just a reminder of of who we are 
and what we have and who it belongs to ultimately. And so I, I appreciated that, um, that reminder. Um, he also was, um, another phrase of my dad's <laughs> to this day is still, um, he goes, help us to be an encouragement one to another. And that's the kind of um, family that he wanted to have, a kind of household that he wanted to have. He wanted us to be uh, peaceful with each other. He wanted the things that we do with each other to be an encouragement. And um, I, I have appreciated that um, family, family sense and, and family um, mentality. Yeah, and that, that peace and just that household is so easy to take for granted. Um, so I get to see it um, from the perspective of uh, my wife, and her family is not Christians. Um, so she, yeah, so she has uh, reminded me of some of those things. Just So the, um, just the grace and forgiveness of someone who has the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and can pass it on. Um, and just, well, and specifically, um, our households um, have a legacy of hosting and just um, being so gracious to people, inviting people into the home for, for meals and any time. Um, so those are both things that I often take for granted, but with a little bit of an outsider's perspective um, has been, yeah, a huge part of our legacy and um, a huge blessing to us. Okay, so let me just uh, take one minute to, to summarize everything. Um, model the faith that you want your children to have, number one. Be intentional about helping them remember God's faithfulness through your stories. Uh, read the Bible, tell Bible stories. <clears throat> Teach your kids how to pray. Look for teachable moments. And make sure that uh, the Christian community is a priority for your family. And I, I say that beyond the church, like, but uh, just, just think about this. Like, if your kids walk away from the faith, wouldn't you still want them to have friends that have faith? And you do that by making sure that you are part of the CNC, you're part of the youth, you're part of a small group, you're, you're engaged in things. And, and this family matters, matters a whole lot. And even... Uh, <clears throat> I was talking to, it was your mother-in-law at a senior's lunch, and unsolicited, so that she's how old? Don't say. <laughs> she's, she's, I think she's in her 80, 80s, and, uh, and there's been some health concerns with her husband, and they came out to the senior's lunch, and I sat at her table, and she said, I just love our church, and I love this event. And then she said, we need community now more than ever. And here's, here's an 80-some-year-old person reminding us that when you get older, it doesn't change. You still need community. And we think that we're okay. You know, when we're young, we need community. But you need community all the time. And they have it because they're part of a family. So um, let's stand. I want to close in prayer. And I want to pray for our families here today, especially those that are in the season of, of passing on your faith to the next generation. And I want to be mindful of those who have kids, whether they're 70-year-old kids or whether they're 13-year-old kids who have fallen away from the Lord and just asking that God would do his good work in us. So let me, let me pray for us. So, Father, 
Um, thank you for your grace and your power and your provision in our lives. Uh, thank you that you've called us to be your children. You've adopted us into your family. You've given us your spirit. And that spirit is, is relentless in helping us walk with God. And God, you know our hearts. And there's not a parent here that doesn't want their kid to follow the Lord. And yet, you know our life. And there are so many distractions and so many lies and mistruths out there. So by your grace, would you protect us? And for those that have fallen away, even if they seem so distant, would you make a way back for them? Would they be like, like that prodigal son who you're looking for, and when they come back, you just embrace them and love them and tell them you're waiting for them? And God, if there are parents here today that have lost hope, I pray that you would restore that hope and give them, just give them some sign of, of, of uh, your goodness in their lives and your work in their kids' lives. And if we're struggling in our faith today, God, help us to understand that you are God. There is none like you. And help us to fall in love with you again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.